This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. This episode of Cultivated is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB blends accuracy and readability, giving pastors a translation they can trust and lay people a Bible they can enjoy. Find out more at csbible.com. Esteban Shed is one of three members of Alert 312, a hip-hop group that blends street funk, progressive hip-hop, golden age, and ethnic sounds. Their tracks are percussive and everything's cut live, so it has an intense energy. They call Chicago home. We're Chicago, Illinois, born and raised, and uh, proud of being a Chicagoan, man. <laughs> Gold stacks off slate backs, slate trade, cut king's checks. Muscle wars make kings flex, kill other kings with no regret. Enemy and little man make gold plaques, and the kings who kill for more cash. To make artifacts for the poor class, build a self-made religion where idols cast. Every single image with the face of man, man, motherboards, Persian sands, heroin or amphetamines. Don't matter the material when we build our dreams. We all kings in our own schemes, scheming for high-rise flyer things. We king our throne, till we kill our own, till we dry our bones, till we dead and gone. Ha. So I grew up on the um, the northeast side of Chicago in, in a neighborhood called Edgewater. I was raised in a, a solid, solid church, local church there in Chicago, and um, my father was a pastor um, and really was uh, like a lighthouse, I would say, um, both the church and my household, just comparatively to the neighborhood that we were growing up in. But when I hit like seventh eighth grade year you know the backdrop it's like you know a lot of what chicago is known for all of my boys that i was with in the neighborhood started getting into gangs and drugs mm. and uh mainly just street stuff and sure. and also just the hip-hop culture around me you know being a pastor's kid in the neighborhood was definitely very different from the rest of my guys around me in the neighborhood sure. um at the same time you know i looked at a lot of the Dudes that were just respected in the neighborhood and all that, and they were respected for all the wrong things. And I wanted that, Mm -hmm. you know, really, the reality is I wanted that. And so at 15, you know, a young dude, prideful and and really kind of seeing the street life as man, that's that's the in contrast to like a a humble shepherd father that I had, which I was my neighborhood, man, that was incredible to have a father around, much less a father that loved the Lord and was humble and serving his family. But to me, as a 15-year-old, that appeared as like, oh, man, when I see, like, the dude running the gang in the neighborhood, I want to be that. You know, the Mm. typical power of money, sex, women, that was attractive to me. But, man, the Lord had sold so many words through the word and through the gospel growing up that it was really at 15 when that started to take shape. Um, One thing in particular, though, was uh, on a Friday night, I was walking over to the church and my father passed by in his car and said, let me give you a ride because I'm going past a dangerous corner. And in my pride, I was like, nah, nah, come on. I'm just walking two blocks, you know, you know, 15 year old. Right. Sure. And um, but it was it was about, uh, you know, 20, 30 seconds later, the place I would have been an acquaintance of mine was killed. Oh, wow. And so I would have been right walking past that. There was a, there was a gang war in the neighborhood at that time. And that and some other things that were happening were starting to quicken my attention mm-hmm. that growing up in the church wasn't enough. Head knowledge wasn't enough, but that I had heart issues. Mm-hmm. And really, I, I can't 
describe it any other way that those seeds of knowing the word and the, the, the gospel that's implanted into me kind of came to a head one evening in my room mm. where in prayer, like I just felt the way to sin. And in prayer, I just started crying out to the Lord. And it, it wasn't a vision, but there was a picture in my mind of me against God's holy mirror. And just, mm. it was just repentance. It was mm. just I compared to you and not anyone else, but I compared to you, I deserve condemnation. And specifically because I was dealing with, you know, young, young guys that were my age and my friends that were getting killed, getting shot, right. you know, life was becoming even more real. And I knew that I didn't deserve the grace of not being killed that one night, you know, and, and saw that as really like, wow, the Lord has given me a chance. And it woke me up to just life and death issues. But that just really highlighted the sin in my heart. And mm. so kind of those seeds from all those years of upbringing um, came to fruit. And it was like, man, yeah. I just understood grace, you mm. know, and and the washing that I needed. There's a pine wobbler sitting on a hollow limb. He seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him and everything he sees. From the branch that he's sitting on It seems to hush the leaves And the colors all around Now first he sings And then he goes And what it means It's hard to know You're listening to Cultivated Conversations about faith and work I'm Mike Cosper, and today I'll talk to Esteban Shedd about his work as a rapper, how he sees that work as missional, and we'll talk about the Street Lights Bible app, an amazing effort that he's spearheading to make the Bible accessible to people who might not otherwise pay it any attention. Stay with us. I just started getting into music. I mean, it was kind of all my upbringing, but yeah. hip hop specifically was was around fifth or sixth grade wow. when I started to hide tapes under my bed of like Nas <laughs> and all these Weren't guys. Were allowed to listen to it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my whole world was just kind of open, but it was like the the CD. Well, it wasn't CDs. The tapes. Yeah. Meeting what I was experiencing in the neighborhood, and then I was I was like, yo. I could MC, man. I love music. Mm. And so that's kind of where music started to take shape. But it was after I got saved that I saw music differently from a missional standpoint. Yeah. That, there was a big change. So when I met Jesus, instantly it was like, okay, I'm a native of this culture. And I mean, I didn't say it in those words, right? Sure. But instantly I thought, man, I'm going to MC because I want to MC to express the worldview of all that I know mm. from the word of God and how it applies to social, political, neighborhood issues. Yeah. But man, I want people to know Jesus. And so it became missionally infused and purposed mm. really. Right away. Uh, yeah. So, so 15. So I started my first live hip hop group at 17. Mm. What was and that called? It was called Poetic Blood. Yeah. 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 Blood of Jesus, poetry. Yeah. And there was a seven piece band. And then that carried on even to this day into Alert Through and Two. So throughout the years, I had different groups. Yeah. yeah but, yep. What do you feel like shaped your early musical influences? Mm -hmm. Like, who were you guys you were looking to going, man, these are the. 
These guys are doing it. You know, interesting thing about that is that me and then the two other guys in Alert 3 and 2 right now, uh, we grew up in incredibly diverse parts of Chicago. So mm-hmm. Chicago is known for being segregated. The parts that we grew up in were similar to what you would think about if you think about like uh, Brooklyn, New York, right? Mm-hmm. So uptown Chicago, the northeast side of Chicago is is the main immigrant port for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were influenced by both hip hop, like because that was the in the neighborhood, but really church background hymns you know mm. i've always loved even before i really came to know the lord i've always loved him um writing mm. because it was so lyrical and it was so symbolic and then you know latin roots and salsa and all that stuff that came through the neighborhood and family ties and all that has really influenced all of our musical upbringing so mm. it, it could go from keith green to uh <laughs> ruben blades who was a an incredible salsa writer if, if he wrote in english he would be mm. like oh this guy's like bob dylan he, he's incredible he was on mm. funny records to definitely mcs um black thought from the roots nas mm. talib mm. quali most stuff like that whole conscious era yeah um so that heavily influenced me like in my in my uh yeah. my high school days yeah Explain. I imagine some of our listeners won't know what conscious hip hop is. Yeah, I'd love for you to explain that a little bit. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of a segment of hip hop history where yeah. you had kind of late '90s. Yeah, late '90s, and so you had like it's kind of termed like the golden era, and so you got you had kind of a signature factor of like rappers who just spit like street stuff, more mm-hmm. gangster rap, things like that, and there was kind of a a pushback on that. Not that conscious hip hop equaled christian spitting but there was just a moral kind of base to it mm-hmm. kind of alongside of that there was a organic approach to hip-hop there was a be conscious of the community and all that and mm-hmm. i mean it was filled with a good amount of hypocrisy obviously too but it was just more yeah. palatable artistic uh hip-hop political could, at times yeah political social yeah. it was just more consciously aware than yeah. you know sex money and drugs uh yeah. although it definitely involved that too you know <laughs> it wasn't a hard line you know yeah. i've always wondered how much of an influence that stuff is particularly on like christian hip-hop especially right, right now yeah i don't know I, I think about like like 10 or 15 years ago the guys that were doing christian hip-hop was i think about like grits and some of those sure. guys that were around then yeah the feel of what's happening now is much more. There is much more of a consciousness. There is much more of an, an emphasis on on justice. Right. And on um, even in even in sort of the theological approach, mm-hmm. feels influenced by that stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. The interesting thing about that, every MC on Humble Beast was kind of cut from the cloth of, you know, in our world there was no Christian hip hop. You know, mm-hmm. we we came to know Christ, and our surrounding was just hip hop. Yeah. And so this idea of this genre of Christian hip hop really hadn't evolved. Yeah. And so it wasn't even really a, a, a term that we wore that much, you mm. know. Um, and then the cr- cross movements and all these kind of came out and there were good things. Ironically, we, we just embraced like Jesus has found us. It's changing our worldview. And now we can kind of holistically dialogue. And, and probably during that time, we identify most with conscious hip hop because where we played and contributed mm-hmm. once again it wasn't online it was at house parties hip hop shows venues festivals block parties where it was like any and every issue was a phenomenal way to dialogue with people and point to the hope of Christ so yeah. if it's gang banging and violence okay cool if it's political stuff i mean we're from chicago think about it like <laughs> of course we're going to be talking about yeah. gentrification and 
corruption and all that. At the same time, we we felt like we were taking conscious hip hop beyond that, actually pointing to a a hope, not just critiquing culture, but pointing to the hope of Jesus. But yeah, it's interesting now that like I think that that trend has kind of come back around. Mm-hmm. For some of us, it's like okay, it's nothing new. Um, for other of us, you know, for maybe the general culture, it's like yo, it has come back around because the gospel is holistic. It applies mm-hmm. to every issue of life, as do the mm-hmm. scriptures. You know, so yeah. yeah. There was never an aspiration for you to be like, we want to be part of this. Con- Christian contemporary music scene that was never no, on your radar. No, you know I think at the core. Were you aware of that a, stuff when you were? Definitely, as like young high school listeners, the first I heard about like people talking somewhat about Jesus and kind of identifying culturally and, and stylistically with us were like tunnel rats from LA. Whereas like we weren't consuming music by going to like a Lifeway bookstore, right. and that that music that we were identifying wasn't really selling there right? right but as we started kind of get into some youth groups and get discipled and we started to hear of like the um different people that were more outright with the gospel and kind of seeing the whole spectrum of it you know so we became more and more aware of it and and honestly didn't re- really take a hard stance of rejecting any side sure. of it sure and we just kind of took the the mentality of really at the end of the day it's like some of that is really good for discipleship material, yeah. but really won't hit anybody that's like, let's say, not a believer or whatever. Right. Other ones, I think it's like from the church going out, yeah. you know? And so intrinsically in our music, it's always been very evangelistically driven, you know? So, so can we, it's never hiding Christ, but can we go do this at a festival in Chicago? And it's really for anybody to hear, although it is very Christocentric and it was very prayerfully bathed too. It wasn't just like, let's win the music industry. We kind of rejected that notion and said, nah, this is always missional, you know, which has flowed into this day. Uh, vice and virtue, bless you or curse you. A thin line between good humans and a serpent. Thin line between going deep in the surface. Pretty pledges, pretty poison, I can hurt you. Time's so urgent, the time's so circus. I'm writing with some hunger killer, kamikaze cursing. Suicide ink leaking from a very person. Subject matter's pertinent, transparent. Sanskrit, take a daily trip, cause humble beasts beefing, beefing with the beast, side of the heart that make you want to be the man or beat the man, either way it's relevant, we wrestle with our hellishness until we catch the crucifix, it's vicious how we justify rebelliousness, so conscious in our politics, trying to claim innocent before God's holiness, take a moment, uh, and maybe we can reminisce. Hey, before we get back to the episode, I want to say a little bit about our sponsor, the Christian Standard Bible. Today I'm talking with Esteban Shedd, and his ministry is aimed at the streets where many who want to follow Jesus struggle with engaging in God's Word. As you'll hear in his story, he's done some innovative things to bring the Bible to people in the neighborhoods where he grew up. And I think if we're honest, it's a struggle that all of us share. Sometimes the language in Bible translations is so archaic or needlessly complex that it leaves new believers in frustration and affects their growth. That's why I love what the Christian Standard Bible has done. It blends pinpoint accuracy with a reading experience that makes engaging the Word pleasurable. Reading the Bible shouldn't be a chore. Learn more about this much-needed translation at csbible.com. Alert 312 worked hard to cement a place for themselves in Chicago's music scene. As they started out, the majority of shows they played weren't for Christian audiences, though they did play some events for churches, mostly for outreach and evangelism. I asked Esteban what it was like to live in both worlds. You know, we we got a lot of respect because one thing we valued was 
do the craft well. So like we didn't fake the craft. The craft was part of our upbringing, but now it had even more potent a message than ever before. It wasn't just about hip hop culture. It was about Christ. To me, then it opened up a whole box of what we could talk about because we had hope to apply to anything we talked about or to lament about, right? And so our response there was was overall respect. You know, we had secular management for, if you want to use that word, um, <laughs> for a long time mm-hmm. that knew we were Christians. And we would even, you know, be more explicit throughout the songs of sharing our testimony, sharing the gospel. And so whether it was like big block parties or opening up for bigger acts that definitely weren't Christians, there was a respect because of the craft was done well. I mean, at the end of the day, there were, there were times where people are like, but well, you guys are Christians. And that was part of the rejection. That was fine too. But as far as like, we never wanted to not be heard because we didn't do due diligence with the craft. If they rejected the person, the worldview, the faith, fine. Yeah. But um, we can still build you, build with you as, as common artists. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a common, I think that's a common theme too. There's sort of these two competing narratives, I think. And there's, there's probably some truth to both of them, but there are people who say, okay, we're living in this post-Christian culture. People mm. are super hostile to Christians. So it's hard to break through as an artist in whatever the field might be, sure. writers, you know, filmmakers, whatever, because the culture is against us. Right. But then you talk to other Christians, people who have broken through, and the, you know, the, the resounding theme is do the craft well. Yeah. And oftentimes people will just sort of shrug their shoulders at the fact that, well, you, I know you like to talk about Jesus, but you're also really good at what you sure, do. So, sure, sure. So go ahead. For, for one thing, it sounds like you're really rooted in a sense of place. I mean, Chicago is sure. who you yeah, are and yep. what you do. And and your craft allowed you to kind of sustain a place. Sure, there. yeah. Right? Yeah, part of what you just said with like, how are we perceived by the quote-unquote world or how are we rejected by the quote-unquote world is really, I think a lot of that is found in expectations too. Like we... You know, for better or for worse, and I, w- I don't say this applies to all the humble beasts, and I'm not anti-industry, but like I said in our past, it has always been mission that has really driven us. Even sometimes to say we've probably not done a lot of industry things well, you know, because we just have been like, we see the expectation for us is, yes, people connect into the music, but we've seen that it goes beyond creating fans, we have really viewed music as collaboration with community. Now, to a degree, you're not going to, at every venue, you're not going to right, connect with people in that way. Yeah. But I think when you set up expectations of like, man, it's not just about performing the concert and seeing how people react to the music, um, but it's about longevity of creating and consistently, I guess you could say, preaching or sharing through the music. That it's, it's formed in our local context and, and kind of beyond relationships. Yeah. And so not all the ministry is done only from the stage, although I think that's part of yeah. it, you know? And so... Now, you um, made a deliberate determination. We're going to be part of this scene sure, yep. and be faithfully present. Well said. Yep. Yeah. That's, yep. that's great. Yep. I think that's something that's lost on a lot. Because I think that's the way music scenes tend to work, especially right. in bigger cities. Right. It's like there's a scene, you know, right. and everybody knows each other. And yeah, you, yeah. You know, and people people get in it, and young artists oftentimes are thinking, "Man, I want to, I want to hit it big," and right. you know, that means everybody's going to love me. Right. And, but it, there's so much. Being, as, I'm sorry. I was going to say, just instead of being faithful to like, well, God's put you in this place, and there's all these people here. Exactly. Yeah. And there, there's where lies the this thing of assumption 
of am I received or not? Well, how do you know if you're received or not? If like you put out a song online and you get 12 comments and like, oh, I hate you. You're a Christian. <laughs> well, it, is that the best place to know if people are actually receiving you or not? Well, I think people to people is still some value. I think online has value too. But it seems like people are very quickly to say they they didn't reach a certain industry standard. They didn't get a certain amount of followers. And so they're like, oh, it's because of my faith or it's not because of my faith. It, to me, that just becomes fickle categories to determine if if you if if you're being accepted or not or whatever, or if you're being a contributor. Where a scene with people yeah. um, where you're consistently in. Man, you'll see fruit that's deeper than just like, am I blowing up industry-wise or whatever. Right. And it's such a different thing. Like, this is a caricature, of course, but there's the artist who's like in their bedroom making music, you know, and then putting it on the internet and hoping people discover it. Right. Versus actually having to go out and go to a club or a block party or whatever mm-hmm. and stand in front of people and win them as an artist. Right, right. Because you're going to grab them first as an artist and then... And then grab them with what you're sure. trying to say. Yeah, yeah. It seems like that that latter thing, like that's much more difficult because there's so there's the layers not only of the craft but of the performance sure. and all of that. Sure. How much of that for you guys was conscious in terms of hey, we want to be we want to be faithfully present? If you want to use that language, mm-hmm. like how much of that was a conscious decision and how much of that was just the world you were immersed in? Yeah, um, I think probably more the latter. Yeah. Um, but I think then you know, understanding that. Um, we serve a go Christ. Like it's not just head knowledge, but we serve a, a God that calls us to go um, and being really disciple within our local bodies that way and understanding the word of God that way. Um, it helped us to then see that natural immersion in the culture as this is an opportunity. So there's definitely intentionality, but I think it was more the response of this is naturally where we're at. And this is naturally where we can kind of cut our teeth and be used as communicators, essentially, and contribute. Um, so I, th- I think that it was probably more response like that and God's showing you, hey, you're a native here, right. so be a native communicator. That's yeah. probably the, the, the philosophy that's, cool. that's kind of uh, formed in that. Yeah. Yeah, so. so how long has Alert 312 been together? Yeah, so uh, we've been together. We started as a four-piece. Um, okay. And uh, b- previous to that, we had another group called Berta Ramon that was a 10-piece mm. uh, big oh, wow. band. And, and, and that got incredibly successful um, in the sense of just a big following Chicago-wise. And then we started to do a lot of like band competitions so we won a national band competition and then we got management that was not putting out like hip hop groups. They were putting out some other notable like rock groups. Um, and so that really started picking up to the point that we had like three majors come to the table. And that was 2008. Um, and ironically, you know, honestly, the Holy Spirit really just started directing me and one of the other leaders of the group um, to let it go. Mm. At kind of the height of its success, which was a tough thing for us. Um, what do you think that was? Uh, it, it was it was to burst streetlights. Mm. Now I know in retrospect, and those are tough years, but they were pruning years. Mm. And it's like oh eight to oh ten. Yeah, 08 to like late oh nine or okay. so. So it's about a year to two years. Um, I'm horrible with time, man. <laughs> right, um, man. <laughs> and it was at that time when when me and Aaron Lopez, who's currently alert through and two producer, and also over the audio bar with streetlights, that we just honestly. I'm not trying to be ultra spirit. We prayed 
because mm. we believe God listens to us when we pray and fasted for a good amount of consistent time and just said, Lord, we gave up something that was successful. Yes, you called us to do it. And the word that we kind of continued to come back around was giving up the good to do mm. the greater. And that didn't make sense during those two years. But all throughout this time of being in doing music, we were locally discipling in our neighborhoods. And God broke our heart over so many young men and women that couldn't read in our context, high schoolers. And that's the cauldron that Streetlight's vision was born of creating at the core an audio Bible that could bridge that gap stylistically and and uh, through communication. So we were praying about this idea at that point. It was just this idea of Streetlight's and um, also continuing to, to to make albums to proclaim. We really saw that as a proclaiming ministry. So were you making music at, during this, like writing and... We we were like fiddling around with some stuff at a home studio. Yeah. And I was... I've never stopped writing since I started, probably yeah. in, honestly, the fifth grade. I heard a Mob Deep song, <laughs> right? <laughs> so How the Lord Uses Crooked Sticks, right? I heard a Mob <laughs> Deep song and a Nas album, you know? Ironically, going to a uh, a uh, like a, a church retreat, right? Yeah. We're in the back and we're like, yeah, bump this old Christian thing. We're gonna listen to right, right these albums, <laughs> and I could not believe the lyricism. It like grabbed my heart, and I was like, whoa, like this is incredible, right? I just never heard like lyrics like that, and so I started writing them. So I hadn't stopped writing. So tell me, what is it about the lyrics that got you? Like, what when you say lyricism, what what do you mean mm-hmm. by that? Well, one thing was the connection to the only thing I could identify was uh, it was like I mentioned before how I loved hymns mm-hmm. and I loved hymns that I heard in church that were real. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Man, that, that one line uh, was one I've always been very artistically visual. Right. And even when I came to Christ at 15, like I said, it wasn't a vision, but I, I definitely pictured just the, the holy mirror of God and seeing my sin. So there, there's always been a visual aspect to in the way that I, I take things in that impacts me deeply. And I think that applies to like everyone. But yeah. and so those hymns and also the Psalms were just like huge. And so when I heard this, which obviously I knew wasn't you know, proclaiming Christ or anything, but it was just street, but it was real. There was a, there was an authenticity to the realness that met. I looked around in my neighborhood where they were talking about, even though they're from New York city, it was like, Oh, this is the same block. This is the same thing. So there was that connection there. Um, and then just the whole vibe was just dope. It was just innovative and authentic. And it's like, man, this is my voice, basically. That's what it felt like. Oh, this is the medium. Right. Um, and so I got into this. that and yeah. graphing and all that stuff. So it was just yeah. kind of the natural flow. So, um, But yeah, anyways, come back around. It was in those two years that Alert 3 and 2 got formed and Streetlights at the same time. And so we started making music and the Lord opened up the doors for Streetlights to happen through a local ministry. Yeah, talk to me about what Streetlights is. Can yeah. Explain all that. Yeah, yeah so Streetlights... Um, you know, it started as uh, it was one particular night in, um, I believe, is the month of June, and I was meeting with ten guys with some other leaders from the local church in Chicago, and there was about ten guys that I was meeting with that you know they all came from 
all almost all of them from background of just you know imagine that be social ill gangbanging broken families all that stuff and yeah we love these dudes and some of them knew jesus we were discipling some of them didn't but they were coming around because they loved us and just building with people so very local church discipleship we were in a beat down basement that the church owned and every wednesday we would get together to study the scriptures to pray to build relationship really disciple and and um just, just let some bolts life on life yeah. yeah but i was burdened because they could receive the word of god if me or another leader was teaching it but every time we open up the written word of God in that form, there was a disconnection. You know, picture every kind of emotion, embarrassment. I hope he doesn't call on me. Shame. I mean, these guys are 16, 17, 18 years old going to the local CPS, Chicago Public High School. Um, but they can't read. And when you say they can't read, you mean they can't read. So I should I should clarify that. So yeah. some of them could not read and literacy is usually put out in four different categories by like the 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 census that's usually taken and it's like there's different levels of reading and reading comprehension the lowest two levels is where i would characterize majority of these young men so when i say like six to eight they definitely could not read um long vast portions of scripture and just digest it and take it in and tell you all about it right which when you're studying the Bible, you're working through verse by verse. So I just saw this this barrier to them engaging the scriptures and internalizing the truth in the scriptures. And so I went home because all of them would come in with CD players at that point, right? And they were just like me. They were taking in all this hip hop, and and then I was like, man, these dudes are made in the image of God. They have phenomenal minds. They just have a lack of education, lack of upbringing, no parents teaching them how to read and all that. And so um, I said, man, I'm going to read the scriptures, but dynamically, not like another audio Bible. I want, and we're in um, Acts 2 and 3 in particular. So I was like, man, when it's Peter preaching, man, I want it to sound like how I imagine, like with dynamic and and passion and and not just this mundane, here's sure. the word of God. Because <laughs> that's not the word of God, right? It's dynamic <laughs> literature and um, and also it needed to be oral because they, they, they take in through the ears. And so went home to a closet recording studio. Right. And, um, this is when like technology really started catching up where people are like, all right, I'm going to turn my room into a, to a recording studio. Yeah. You know? And so I read Acts two and three over some Pete rock, um, beats that I had brought it back the next Wednesday said, fellas, let's break open the word of God. We're going to study something's different. I'm going to press play. So I press play and the engagement was like night and day. The comprehension was like night and day. Some of the guys did still open the word of God and followed along. Other ones looked up in the air and just kind of closed their eyes and took it in just like they would if an album was on. The difference was the engagement afterward was phenomenal. Like the basic things. Okay, who's preaching here? Oh, Peter's preaching. Or who's doing this? Or who's doing right. that? They knew all the basic facts. The comprehension was all there. And that opened up the door to go deep. Okay, so wait, what is being said here? Oh, man, it says that they they killed the Savior. You know, wow. and so it became this discipleship tool automatically because it was meeting them where communication was. So Streetlight started as an audio Bible Fast forward, like uh, literally, just you taking chapters at a time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I paused for man a couple years though, because after that test, like I got really busy within with, with the group and just playing a lot of concerts and doing all that. So when we gave up that group, 
actually my sister came up to me and she goes, and this is the period that we were praying and, and fasting and all that. And she goes, remember Streetlights, that idea? You need to do it. And it was like somebody hit me with a punch in the in, in the face. One, because I, I, I wanted to do it, but it was such an ambitious project. And I was like, how? Funding? Who? But uh, we started just committing it to the Lord. And then um, now we've been doing it for eight years and kicking out audio Bible books. And it's grown into multimedia um, resources as well, lessons to teach the scriptures, not only provide them in audio form, but teach the scriptures. Okay. And then Humble Beast has been intertwining that thing since really about the first year um, since I started doing it in about 2009, 2010. Yeah. Streetlights just recently finished recording the entire New Testament. You can get the whole thing for free, streaming it through their app, the Streetlights Bible app. Ephesians chapter 1. Greetings from Paul. This letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Spiritual blessings. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's yeah. purpose what do you what do you hope for it over the next few years? What do you hope to see? Yeah. What we hope to see, um, we'll also be doing another English version, most likely it's uh, a reader's version in NIV, but it's specifically for ministries that are ministering in like prison systems and all that. And that's like a third grade reading level. So it's really accessible to be understood. And then we'll be releasing soon uh, because we came out with an app. And the Streetlights oh, app, wow. was a, it really was a game changer because there was no download process. Yeah. And so, inst- I mean, you download the app, but then you're yeah. getting all the releases right there. And so in that, there'll be a second phase of that that will beef up the multimedia teaching. Mm-hmm. And we'll be starting a devotional lane called Corner Talk. And the idea behind that is in the same ethos as the, the audio Bible, but it's like, let's say... Desiring God or the Gospel Coalition or, you know, there's so many great teachers that you and I as as educated people can take in and we've been discipled and we can think through and we are edified by so much great teaching. Corner talk is the idea of that needs to reach the corner in a native tongue. Hmm. Right. And so it's really multimedia teaching geared toward real specific, like the 19 year old 
could they be on an L train and take in, start taking it in like solid theology and, mm. and how does it meet current topics that are really hard to wrestle through, uh, you name it, social, political, yeah. racial, whatever, but teaching the scriptures in a way that they can be understand and, mm. and, and hopefully by natives in a similar fashion to the audio Bible that they can connect with to see, oh man, the gospel's for all people. Here's a clip from one of those Corner Talk teaching sessions. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham. No, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I- What's going on, everybody? Esteban Shed here. Welcome Abraham to Corner Talk. You know, in this series, the I Am series, we're gonna confront Jesus and take him for his own words. So we're in the book of John. It's a famous gospel. And it's one of the most intimate gospels that almost like paints a picture of all the different angles of who Jesus is. And the beautiful thing is the brush that paints that picture is his own words. And so uh, Jesus wants to take us for who he is. He's not afraid of that. And throughout all human history, people have been fascinated with this person, the son of God, who he claims to be, but he's also a human. And in particular, the stories that we're going into aren't really starting from his birth, but they're starting from a place where He's a 30-year-old human man in a city uh, like so many of our cities, the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, and he's interacting with people, people that may have a different cultural background than us, but they're still people. They got problems, they got issues, they got sickness, they got anger, they got uh, self-righteousness, they got communities that are hurting. And so when you read John, um, the Gospel of John, you're reading who Jesus is and how he interacts with real people in a real city. This is why it's one of my favorite Gospels and traditionally has been one of the most powerful uh, books of the Bible because it gets you right into Jesus's world and who he says to be. So welcome to Corner Talk, man. We wanna talk it's always the job of the church to contextualize. And so we always have to really work hard in saying, yeah. you know, look, we know that the Holy Spirit does the work inside of a person, including us. And yet he's called us to be communicators. And how can faith come without the message bearers and getting in a place where it can be understood? Yeah. And so I, that's going to have challenges. And, you know, even this... Um, because you're making it available for free, right? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. free. So it's like eliminate the barriers, not only educationally, yeah. but fiscally, and and just get it out so that people can have it and use it and spread it freely. That's the reason it didn't exist before, right? Right. Like it's 
sad to say it, but like, well, there wasn't money to make from so, it. Yeah. So it took somebody going out of their way to say, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it happen. Yeah. Whether there's yeah. money for it. Or oh not. yeah, it's been so, a walk of faith the whole time. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> but because what you're talking about, it's not cheap to get yeah, done. No, not but, at all. Well, talk to me about Alert. So that starts around 2010, kind of kicks off? Yeah, or? 2010, and we, we started as a four-piece band. We've always had a live musical band to us, and yeah. so um, it's in, then it became a duo on good terms. It was just easier for me and Aaron Lopez, who's also on Streetlights, to, to travel, perform, and create. And now it's a trio because we added who was in our previous groups, and he's been on the Streetlights team, Lauren LaLuce. He's a phenomenal percussionist. Mm-hmm. So our setup, man, I mean, we love um, old meets new. So we, we we have uh, we have old taste where we love everything from the 70s and, and live music and live authentic authenticity where it's this mentality of take two sticks and 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 some mud and make the best thing you can because it's gonna be it may not always be good but it's gonna be authentic just yeah. and just the authentic sound of live live instruments so that's really dictate a lot of our sound a lot of percussion meets new right so like beat machines and MIDI MIDI instruments. So that's kind of dictates our sound um, now. So it's one MC, two percussionists, a lot of live players on the album. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's cool, man. It's very soulful. Beautiful, belly full, lights wonderful, phenomenal, heart full, lights wonderful, joy overflow, joy overload, overall, let's go, let's go, let's go. Beautiful, belly full, lights wonderful, phenomenal, heart full, lights wonderful, joy overflow, joy overload. A green planet, sunrise, rooftop, ultramagnetic yeah. reality. Only he could ever have invented. Only I'm a tenant, no owner, no credit. Touch, taste, see, and feel the sweet presence. Divine fingerprints left on every single letter. Smile for my firstborn, thoughts of my creator. Work, play, resting every day to do it better. Life's first step and every chance to discover. All shock and love of ones we will remember. Past, present, future to the last endeavor. This the first scene, glorious forever. Since you asked us to kind of express who we are, I think a, a, a big like if you looked at our, like our theology, art, music, whatever outflow, man, there's contentment in being missional with your with your art. We don't want to demonize industry, but I think, man, when you become a new creation in Christ, the whole paradigm for everything in life changes. And people have their different opinions in Christendom about this. I think where we land is this, that I think when you submit your gifts, no matter what they are, physical, spiritual gifts, and you say, I'm going to serve a king, our main, I guess, mantra would be you're going to accomplish much more greater in-depth things for your scene, your friends, your family, your kids, with whatever your expression is and the industry of God opens those doors, whether it's term CCM or it's term or just the general market or whatever. I think that is where contentment and, and, and in art lies and in knowing that you're submitting what you've been given to the person that's created the good works for you to do. You faithfully do those things to create them. And then I, I do believe if your heart is mission, he's going to open up a lot of doors to share them. Um, it may not make you the biggest thing in the world, but I think that uh, in kind of the same retrospect, you know, this might be people might roll their eyes at this. But this has been my story um, kind of and dipping my feet in all different lanes of industry or whatever. But I don't think that you can 
really truly serve fame and profit at the same time as missional. And so our heart, man, with Streetlights and Alert Through and Two, Humble Beast, whatever, in our opinion, in our humble opinion is, man, if if artists would become missional under the Great Commission, we could meet this digital age with prophetic truth in, in a dynamic way. But I think it takes a lot of dying to industry methods and means that really lift yourself up, your profit and your career. Those things may come and they're fine, but they're like subservient, you know, to the missional call. So uh, I think that overall, when we talk about arts and ministry, that's, that's not to be cliches, but that really is our prayer and probably the, the model that we try to strive after in all our endeavors. First he sings and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know. Thanks to Esteban for sharing your story. Alert 312 has a new record coming out in just a couple of months, so keep your eyes open. If you like our show, please share about it on social media and leave us a rating or a review at iTunes. It helps other people find the show. Also, we have a weekly newsletter with a column from me, related links, and more. Sign up for that at cultivatedpodcast.com. You can learn more about the Streetlights Bible by downloading the app or by going to streetlightsbible.com. You can learn more about Alert 312 at alert312.com or at humblebeast.com. Our show today was produced and edited by me. It was mixed by Mark Owens. Our music was from Alert 312. Our theme song is by Roman Candle. Special thanks to Ryan Lister for today's episode. And we also want to thank our sponsor, the Christian Standard Bible. Check them out at csbible.com. We'll see you next week. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.